0: Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we are uh, we're hungry to hear from your word. So we pray that you would just uh, speak to us right now. God, open up our hearts and our minds and our souls to receive the truth that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Did you guys do the reading this week? Because Jeremiah is pretty nuts this week. Jeremiah is a, just a... Um, a really just an amazing portion of scripture. So, you know, we're doing the, we're reading through the Bible in a year. And if you don't have the reading plan, there's ones on the back table. Help yourself to one, all of that. Um, this week, we're in Jeremiah 27 to Jeremiah 50. Next week, we're going to be in Jeremiah 51 through Ezekiel 16. And we're just hitting these big chunks of scripture. Uh, honestly, a lot of which have pieces that are a little bit hard to understand. And... Um, so if you're feeling that way, you're in very good company. Um, but, um, but there's just so much richness there because we get to absorb so much of, of just who the Lord is and how we can respond. And so, um, you know, Jeremiah, there's a couple things we want to just remember as a whole through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah's prophesying to people who are going into captivity. He's prophesying to people who are um, coming face to face with the consequences of their sins. And... Um, they are not interested in responding to the Lord at all. And so, you know, historically, um, we're kind of familiar with it overall, right? So there was the Israel, nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom got carried away into captivity about 150 years before the southern kingdom. And um, the southern kingdom, also known as the nation of Judah, sometimes called Israel, but overall generally called the nation of Judah, um, gets carried away by the nation of Babylon and they're carried away for 70 years and at the end of 70 years the Lord brings them back uh, to Jerusalem and you know as we're looking as we're reading the Old Testament in particular we want to remember that it's not an allegory right it's given to us as history but there are applications that we can glean from it um, that are greater than just history. Um, Paul tells us in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians. He says the things that happened to Israel happen as examples to us. And so we're not allegorizing or turning the Old Testament into metaphors, right? But there is a point to which we can say, you know what, this, uh, this reality that they experienced historically has some very distinct uh, application in my life in an app- from a a big picture perspective. So we've talked about before, you know, uh, in the book of Joshua, when the nation of Israel, at the time, because they were still united, the nation of Israel crossed, into the, crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and we've talked about how that really isn't, uh, it's not a picture of heaven, because there's still battles and there's still armies and there's still enemies, but it is a, it's a picture for us of the fact that we can cross into a victorious Christian life through Jesus Christ. Right? And, and, you know, there's some symbolism even with crossing the river, you know, the idea of baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit and just that rebirth. And now you're like a new nation in a new land. And, and we can have that victory. Well, in a lot of ways, I think we can look at the Babylonian captivity in a very similar way. Um, because, you know, and again, we're, we're looking at a historical event, so we're not taking away from that. But as we're looking at the Babylonian captivity, Okay, The nation of Judah sinned, and their sins caused God to have to deal with them. And so he dealt with them by removing them from Jerusalem. And then they were in captivity for 70 years, and at the end of 70 years, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Okay, And it's really interesting, I think, that, um, that the Lord orchestrated it all that way. Because as we look at the Bible overall, okay, um, Babylon is oftentimes a reference for the world, even in the book of Revelation as it's describing the end of the world. It describes what I believe is the literal city of Babylon that will be rebuilt, but it's also describing Babylon as like the world system. Um, As we look at Jerusalem, Jerusalem Jerusalem very often, as we're looking at pictures and types in the Bible, represents our new life. It represents really the fullness of what we're gonna experience in Christ. I mean, Jerusalem, Salem, uh, is from the Hebrew word shalom. It's the word for peace. So it's the city of peace. And if you take this idea, it opened, I think it helps Jeremiah to just be a lot more applicable. Because you think about in our lives, okay, our sins have taken us out of the city of peace. Right? We are not in Eden anymore. Right? We are in a sin-cursed world. We're, we're in a world system, right? And There's a world system that's happening around us, and we are, you know, we're we're not part of that world system, right? When the when the Jewish people went to Babylon, they weren't supposed to become Babylonians, but they were still in Babylon. They were still part of Babylon, right? But Babylon still wasn't their home. They were not to stay in Babylon. They were still people who were from Jerusalem, and they were to get back to the city of peace, right? And so in our lives, you know, even. Just that idea of like 70 years, as the Bible looks at it, 70 years oftentimes roughly equals a generation or a lifespan. Um, I know in the States, a lot of times people live a little bit longer, but overall, there's a little bit of this idea that Bab- the Babylonian captivity is, in some ways, a picture or a type of our life on earth because we're still part of God's family, right? But our sins have still separated us, and we are, you know, we're brought under salvation, we're brought under the grace of Christ, but we're still kind of captives in some ways. Right? You're still trapped in your physical body right now. And your physical body, you're until you're perfected, which will be when you die or when we all get raptured, until that moment happens, we're still captives in bodies that want to sin. Right? And so we can recognize that we're part of a system, but it's also not our home. And really we're born with this longing to get back to the city of peace. We want to get back to that, you know, to like you know the Jewish people wanted to get back to the temple. Well, we want to get back to the Lord. And so if we can look at it that way, you know, again, we're not diminishing the historical reality of the book of Jeremiah, but we're also allowing ourselves to glean and say, okay, wait, what, how does this, You know, are there specific lessons that I can look at from this and uh, that I can pick up from this and so maybe the Lord is trying to encourage me or warn me or rebuke sin in my heart? And so that's what I want us to just kind of keep in mind um, big picture tonight as, as we're going through, we're going to be, um, well, as always, we're going to hit a couple different spots. It's a little hard to take 20 chapters and boil it all down to like one verse. So we're going to hit a couple different spots tonight. Um, but if you would, we're going to, overall, most of tonight's action is going to happen in Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, Jeremiah's just got so much of the Lord talking. We get to see the Lord respond to so many different people. Um, But in chapter 29, starting in verse 4, um, Jeremiah is speaking to the people, and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the father of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will have welfare. So interestingly, you know, the Israelites are going into captivity, but the Lord says, hey, I want you to have a fruitful captivity. And I want you to seek the welfare of the place where you're going. I do not want you to be conformed to where you are going, but I want you to seek the welfare. And I want you to be fruitful and multiply, even in captivity. So for understanding a little bit of this idea, okay, all of a sudden, our world right here has value. And that's important because sometimes, you know, we can get into, you know, we're serving the Lord, we're worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden, this world can become the problem. Right? And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of problems in this world. There's a lot of problems with our own physical bodies, right? I mean, I'm only, I'm almost 25 years old, but I am so ready to be in a new body that is not like, you know, like I just get tired of wanting to sin all the time, right? Like, wouldn't it be great if I had my body without a single selfish desire? Like, that would just be, I would like it. You guys would probably all like it a lot more too, right? But, but I'm, not, I'm not getting there, right? But I'm looking for that, but I don't want to get to this point of saying, well, everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. That's a new test. In the New Testament, there's a lot of time dealt with that and saying, you know what? Hey, Jesus was physical, right? Jesus was a physical being on earth. He was fully God and fully man. And so we can't lose sight of that. But while we're in this world system, we don't just, you know, throw up our hands and say, well, the whole world's, you know, going to burn anyways. What the heck? Who cares? We won't be here. What's he What's he say? He says, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. He says, multiply and don't decrease. So if we are any, and at the beginning, in verse four, it says, it's from the Lord to all the exiles who are in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So who does this apply to? It applies to anybody whose sin has taken them from the city of peace to the world. So for anybody who's at a point in life where you've sinned, but you're still under the umbrella of God's kingdom, we get a call. We get a privilege. We get to seek the welfare of the world we're in. And that forces a little bit more responsibility because it's a little bit easy to go all escapist and just leave the world to its own devices. And there's a point in time at which that's a, you know, there's a, it's a balancing act. And there's not like a There's not a specific point on the metric where you can say, oh, you went too far this way or too far that way, right? But the Lord is calling us. This is why human beings, this is why Christians have flower beds, right? I mean, this is why Christians uh, build good houses and should make good employees, right? Why? Because we're seeking the welfare of the place where we're at and we're seeking to multiply and not decrease. We We don't wanna shrivel up and die while we're on earth. We don't want the world's perception of Christianity to be, oh yeah, they just fade away. They just kind of trickle off and do their thing and leave them alone and they won't hurt you, right? We don't want to do that. We want to multiply. We want to invite people who are in the city of Babylon to come to the city of Jerusalem with us. That's our calling. That's our privilege. So we get to seek the welfare. Now, but remember, we're still in captivity, right? We're set free through Jesus Christ. So don't, you know, don't. I'm using captivity kind of in the, not even the broad sense, in a different sense than we'll sometimes use it in church, right? Because a lot of times in church we'll talk about, are you a slave to sin or have you been set free by God? So I understand that if we're believers in Christ, we are free. and I'm not denying that. I'm just saying we're still living with the reality of sin in our life. It's forgiven, but it's still a reality that we deal with. But, but bear in mind that as Jeremiah is speaking this to the people, they're still captives. They are people who, against their will, were taken to a city that is not that interested in serving the Lord. So go, if you would, to verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So in the middle of there is Jeremiah 29, 11, which Christians everywhere love to read and love to stick on plaques and we love to turn into songs and all kinds of stuff. And we read it on the you know, Christian radio all the time. Um, I think it's probably Joel Osteen's life first. But anyways, um, the context is he's talking to people in captivity, right? And so, and it's easy to say, so sometimes it's easy for us to give this whole Christian encouragement of like, hey, you know, God knows the plans he has for you and their plans for good and not for evil. But Jeremiah is saying this to people who are captives. So what's the, so what's the, what's the context there, right? How does, that, how does that work? So God is offering these people comfort, but he's offering them comfort from a totally different perspective than the world is able to offer, right? God says, I have plans for you. I'm going to bring you back to the city that you left. He says, I'm going to bring you to the city of peace after 70 years, right? So, if you were to really apply this verse in its most like direct application, and you were trying to encourage somebody, you could say, dude, I've got awesome news for you. Someday you're gonna die. And you can leave this all behind. Like that's the that's the most honest interpretation of that verse. Right? Now, I mean, we can use the verse to encourage people and that's great. But in context, right, notice God is offering them comfort, but he is not offering comfort according to the world's definition. Right? And this is really, um, this is what I love about the book of Jeremiah as a whole, is there's several of these little nuggets where God comforts people. And God doesn't comfort people in the way that we often think of as ideal comfort. Um, and God never, in the book of Jeremiah, and really I don't think anywhere in the, book, in the Bible, he never comforts people with their circumstances. He never says, hey, this is, you know, things are gonna get better. He, he actually, I don't think he ever says that. What he always does is he comforts people with himself. He says, hey, this is awful, but guess what? I'm God. Hey, this is awful, guess what? I'm gonna do something. Hey, this is awful, I'm gonna move you somewhere or bring you somewhere or lead you somewhere, right? He never says, hey, things are just gonna be better. Right? And this is like, um, like our w- world is trying to tell us that if you just give it time, right, everything's going to be. Do you guys know the Piano Guys song, going to be okay? Tangentially. It's like awful. It's like the lamest. It's, it, The entire chorus is like four words, right? Everything's going to be, going to be, going to be okay. A, 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 Right? It's not gonna be okay, right? I mean, I'm sorry, that's stupid and it's wrong and it's false and it's just totally not true, right? But we like to tell ourselves, like, well, it's gonna be all right, right? This too shall pass, right? We have all these catchphrases and sayings and, and really we, say, we can say them all because we live in a Western culture where we are so disgustingly rich and so disgustingly comfortable that we have warped our idea of what suffering is, right? Nobody's saying it's going to be okay in Afghanistan right now, right? Particularly Afghan Christians. Nobody's sitting there singing, it's going to be, going to be, going to be okay, right? If they're saying anything, they're saying, I think I'm getting close to meeting Jesus, right? And, you know, I mean, right now, news is hard to get out of Afghanistan, but there's a pastor I listen to who has connections there, and he said, right now, the Taliban is checking people's phones as they're trying to get into the airport, and if you have a Bible app on your phone, you're dead. Just like that. No questions asked. Right? So, is that okay? Is that good for them? Right? Well, here's what's important for us to understand. Their circumstance is awful. Right? It is. I mean, you know, I'm trying to not go off on a tangent right there because I'll get distracted. But, you know, things that are happening in Afghanistan right now are awful. Things that are happening to people in North Korea or Iran or really... Anywhere, um, are awful. You know, the lies that are getting told to the kids in our culture today are awful. The lies that are getting told to the adults are no less horrendous, right? So God doesn't comfort people with circumstances. God comforts people with God. In Hebrews, it, I think, it talks about God can't swear by anything higher than himself, right? So God will say, the Lord bless you. It's like the highest thing. You don't go any higher. You don't go any better. You don't go any more powerful than that. So the Lord doesn't tell people it is going to be okay. He says, I am still God. I am still in control. I am going to do something. And when I start doing something, nobody stops it. Nobody slows it down, right? So, and the fun thing with Jeremiah is that, we get to watch God do this uh, several times throughout the book. And sometimes it's just, it's just super encouraging. Um, Jeremiah 31, chapter 14. He says, I will, and we're gonna, I'll start jumping around a little bit so you don't have to track with me on every one of these. Um, and he says, I will fill the soul of the priest with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. That's one of my favorite promises in the whole Bible. Like I can't wait for the day when I get transformed and I'm just satisfied with the goodness of God. And that's like, nope, that's all I need, right? I don't need anything else. I've got the goodness of God. That's a promise from God. That is super comforting. Um, Chapter 33, verse three. The Lord says, call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you don't know. God says, I'm the revealer of secrets, and I'm the guy who answers. In um, chapter no, sorry, that's it. Sometimes it's super comforting when God comforts us. Sometimes it's not all that comforting when God comforts us because sometimes God will tell us, he'll remind us somewhat firmly, your eyes are on the circumstances, right? It was in last week's reading, but in chapter, I'll get there, I think it's chapter 12. Um, yeah, in chapter 12, Jeremiah starts out Jeremiah 12 with this whole long, eloquent complaint to the Lord. He says, God, you know, why are the wicked prospering and why um, why are all those who are dealing treacherously at ease? You know what the Lord says? He says, if you're running with the footmen and they're wearing you out, how are you going to run with the horses? Lord says, Jeremiah, you're running a foot race right now, and you are getting wiped. And the horse race is coming up next, and you're in it. So More or less, you better suck it up and get to work, buddy. And his point is, Jeremiah, what is your problem? You're looking at the world. You're trying to tell me what's wrong with the circumstances or whatever. Why aren't you looking at me, right? Um, In chapter 45 of Jeremiah, verse two, Jeremiah has this, he's not a sidekick, but he's got a a friend named Baruch. And um, in 45, verse two, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. You said, ah, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I'm weary with my groaning and have found no rest. Thus you are to say to him, and thus says the Lord, behold, what I have built I'm about to tear down, and what I have planted I'm about to uproot, that is the whole land. But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for behold, I am going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord, but I will give your life to you as booty in all the places where you may go. God says, hey, Baruch, you know, you've been really discouraged about how um, you feel like I've added sorrow to your pain, and you just had a lot of groaning, and you haven't had any rest. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy everything I've built. I'm going to uproot everything i planted. By the way, that's the whole land, he, the Lord specifies. And uh, are you seeking, like, to be famous? Did you sign on to serve me because you thought it was going to be awesome? No, no, no. I'm going to bring disaster on all flesh, but I'll give you your life as a prize. Hey, Baruch, things are gonna be awful, but just so you know, I'll keep you alive for a while. Right, I mean, that's like, so, you know, and and I'm not making light of this, but that's comfort. It doesn't feel like comfort, but your feelings aren't what determine comfort because what is God doing right there? He is forcing Baruch to take his eyes off of the circumstances and put his eyes on the Lord. And as we are going through life, we all have circumstances. I love, um, in the book of Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I want you guys to know that my circumstances have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, and I love that he starts it out that way, because he goes on to describe the fact that he's in prison, right? But he starts off by saying, my circumstances have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, and I like that because we all have circumstances, Right? Some of us have fun circumstances. Some of us have not so fun circumstances. Some of us have circumstances that come to married people. Some of us have circumstances to come to single people. Some of us have circumstances to come to people who uh, are in different stages, you know, um, financially or just all these different things. We all have circumstances. And the point is that they all can turn out for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have stuff going on. And that is not the point of life. We're all in Babylon. But Babylon is not home. Right? We're still, you know, and and I wanted to kind of lay that framework at the beginning to say we're still called to live here. We're still called to, you know, to seek the welfare of the world that we're in. But it is still not our home. Right? Yes, we should be responsible citizens. Yes, we should stand up for freedom. We should stand up for the rights of the oppressed who don't have any voice right we have an obligation we have a responsibility and we have a calling from the lord to do all that but at the same time this world is not our home we are not i forget who i don't know who said it first but we are not here to make a nicer place for people to go to hell from that's not our call we are citizens of the new jerusalem that's coming right that's our home That's where we are going. That had better be our focus. And the only way we can stay focused on that is if we stop looking at our circumstances and start looking at the Lord. And so the Lord sometimes gives these super comforting exhortations about, hey, don't lose sight of who I am, right? Don't forget that I'll satisfy you with my goodness. Call to me and I'll answer you and I'll show you things. But at the same time, he's the same God who I'll say, hey, you are focused on your circumstances and that is wrong. You are focused on your circumstances, and that is just honestly stupid. Right? And so, in both of them, he is comforting us. So, in that vein, okay, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul gives a little of a commentary on comfort. And we're not going to read all of chapter 1 because really the whole huge chunk of it is on comfort. But uh, for tonight's purposes, we'll just kind of we'll hit a couple bullet points. But in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul says, hey, blessed be the Lord, because he comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort other people in their affliction. Remember at the beginning, the Lord says, when you're in Babylon, I want you to multiply and not decrease. Paul says, my circumstances have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. But then here he says, you know what? God is comforting us in all our affliction so that we can comfort other people in their affliction. Right? So I'm sure the Lord would give Paul really both sides of the comfort spectrum. You know, hey, Paul, don't forget who I am. Right? I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the God who sees, I'm the God who heals, I'm the God who delivers, I'm the God who saved you, I chose you, I formed you, right? But there's also a side of, hey, Paul, are you obsessed over the fact that you're in prison? Because I don't care. Because I will use your circumstances for the furtherance of the gospel but your circumstances are not what's going to define my ability to work, right? God was comforting Paul in Paul's affliction and Paul is now at a point of maturity where he can say, you know what? The light bulb just went off. God is comforting me so that I can now be equipped to comfort others so I can be a part of that process where we multiply and don't decrease. So we get to experience the comfort from God that is sometimes super encouraging and sometimes super direct. And as a result, we get to comfort others in life. And sometimes that means we get the privilege of being just as encouraging as we possibly can. Right, hey, don't forget who God is. Don't forget how far he's brought you. Don't forget how far you've come. Sometimes it means, hey, shape up. Stay in the game, right? Do not lose focus on what matters. They are both equally important, but God gives us our circumstances. Just like God allowed Jeremiah to go through his circumstances. He allowed Baruch to go through his circumstances. He allowed all the Israelites to go through their circumstances in Babylon. God is allowing that to happen so that we can now comfort other people. So that we can be part of the multiplication process of the kingdom of God. Our circumstances can turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. And and then if you go down to verse 12, in 2 Corinthians chapter one, he says, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So, Paul's affliction, the comfort of God, it all comes back to the grace of God. Paul says, hey, I'm telling you this, and I'm standing on this, this is my proud confidence. I'm absolutely certain that in holiness and godly sincerity, it's not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world. Paul says, the way we're carrying ourselves in, in our circumstances has nothing to do with our strength, has nothing to do with our ability, nothing to do with our competence, nothing to do with our wants or our desires. It has everything to do with the grace of God in our lives, right? So, we all have circumstances, right? We all have circumstances, and some of us have really rough circumstances, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand. I'm not denying the reality of circumstances. Some people have incredibly hard lives, right? I mean, there are people who I know their stories and I just think, you know, I just don't have anything to offer. I, I just flat out really could offer you nothing that wouldn't sound cheap right now. Um, I can still, if you, know, if, you want, if you need to hear the truth from the word, I can tell you what the word of God says, but I can't add anything because I don't have anything to add to what you've been through, right? Because there are people who have awful circumstances in life. But you know what? God is still bringing them back from captivity. God is still bringing us back from captivity. He's still doing this work in our hearts. So along the way, as we have these circumstances, as we have just life, right, and all the junk that can sometimes come along with that, we are getting the privilege and the opportunity and the calling and the responsibility, the joy and the burden, right? It's all there together. We get it all, right, to just let God comfort us. Let him reorient our focus on him. And then as he does that, as we are now focused on Christ, and we're not focused on Babylon, but we're in Babylon focused on Christ. Now we can say, hey, you know what? Dude, your circumstances are awful. But you know what? Your circumstances don't matter. Because there is a God who is so much bigger than your circumstances, who is so much bigger than your circumstances. Right? And it all comes back to the grace of God. So if you're going through circumstances, just stay focused on the God who's bigger than your circumstances. Right? I mean, it's a, it's a famous story, but when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples were in the boat and Peter said, hey, can I come out to you? Jesus said, sure. Right? Peter was in the middle of a pretty intense circumstance. He was walking on water in a storm in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee um, has storms that make Lake Michigan look like a pond, okay? Sea of Galilee is nasty when it storms. Um, And Peter's walking on the water. And then he says he noticed the wind and the rain and he started to sink, right? And and it's an application that's been drawn by I don't know how many pastors, um, but it's still very true. When Peter kept his eyes on Jesus Christ, when he was focused, he was walking from the boat to the Lord. He was walking on water. Right? It didn't change. It didn't make the storm less powerful. Right? It wasn't like the storm was non-existent. But for Peter right there, Peter had tunnel vision on Jesus and Peter was walking on water. And Peter started to sink when he stopped looking at his Lord. Stopped looking at his Savior. All of a sudden, wow, these circumstances are really bad. These waves are high. This wind is, is powerful. And Jesus, he just looks like a normal dude standing on the water, right? So if your eyes come off of Jesus Christ, you're gonna start to sink, right? You call out, Peter called out, he said, Lord, save me, and what did the Lord do? The Lord saved him. So when we get to that point where we start to let our circumstances overwhelm us, we can cry out and God will pull us back, right? He will, he will, he says, call to me and I will answer you. But along the way, as we're living life and walking through everything that comes our way, our focus has got to be Jesus Christ. Our focus has got to be we want to look unto Jesus because as Hebrew says, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and he's gonna finish it, right? Just like the Jewish people, they left Jerusalem, but they were coming back, right? Jesus formed us. Before we were born, he knit us together, and he, so he started it. He did everything. He did everything. He brought us to him, he, or you know he saved us apart from everything we've ever done. He did all the work. And guess who's going to be faithful along the way, right? Uh, it's not going to be our fantastic works, or our Immaculate Brilliance or our Western civilization. It's going to be Jesus Christ, because he's the finisher. Right? He's a starter and he's a finisher. And so every circumstance has a beginning and an end. And Jesus Christ has no beginning and has no end. So by very definition of his existence, he's greater than our circumstances. And so we are all gonna have circumstances. Life is gonna be challenging in different ways at different times, to different extents, or life might just be fun. Sometimes you have fun circumstances, and that's not a sin, okay? But no matter what your circumstances are, Your calling is the same. And that for each one of us is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. To be looking unto Jesus. So God, we pray that you would fix our eyes. Don't let us get distracted. God, keep us from looking at the storms or even the good times or whatever that want to just pull our focus God, I pray that you would uh, just stir us up. Help us to really be people who have a hunger for you. God, we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to let this world drag us down. We don't want to let this world captivate our attention or our love. We want to keep all of our energy focused on you. So please have your way with us, God. Be glorified in our midst. Reveal yourself to us, speak to us, comfort us. Um, Whether we need just that encouragement or that rebuke, comfort us, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us. Mold us, shape us, and have your way in our hearts and in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray, amen.